0: This is A Fresh Agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca.
1: Hi, everyone. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonca. Welcome to this little spot in my digital universe. Relax. Or get that elliptical trainer depending on what you're doing i tend to listen to podcasts when i walk the dog or maybe when i'm working out it's nice to feel like you have someone along for the journey so i'm super glad you're here been thinking about some of the big issues things that people are concerned about and i saw this really interesting article in linkedin they did a survey of people in different industries to share what they believe are key challenges that society faces today some of the answers surprised me they have a whole video on it but a couple of them ai i guess people are really worried about that Uh, someone said how do we make sure that ai doesn't have adverse consequences that we understand who's accountable for the decisions i actually did an interview uh, a few weeks back with peter rubin who is the editor of wired and we talked a lot about ai and what's coming in the future and also uh, virtual reality so he's, he's kind of an expert on that. He's been studying it for quite a few years, and he wrote a book called Future Presence. Anyway, that's in a back episode of A Fresh Agenda. Uh, another person said they were worried. This is the director of the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. Stacey Smith said she is worried that um, students have a view of the world that enables them to handle and confront challenges facing humanity, inequality, safety, issues of hiring, who's in the C-suite, who's in the management ranks. So uh, making sure that people feel like, look, I've got a chance to live my dreams and live my passion and do what I want to do and there's a place for me. This one I thought was really interesting. Uh, This is a guy named Tim Sloan, CEO at Wells Fargo, and he's quoted in the article as saying that he thinks one of the biggest challenges is social cohesion. He says, I think the biggest challenge we have in our country today is the inability of folks to listen to another opinion. And these are basic lessons that our parents taught us. We don't always have to agree, but to be successful, we have to work together. And he's absolutely right. It's very tough to get people to see your point of view. You see that on social media all the time where you, someone you know, launches a, a, a grenade of politics into a social media feed and it's back and forth pretty much all day. Um, I'm reading a great book right now that kind of talks about people's points of view and uh, their perceived inequities in society. It's a great book. It's called Skin in the Game by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. I've read some of Taleb's other works. It's really deep stuff. I just finished reading Ready Player One, so I was ready for something kind of deep to chew on. And Taleb delivers, certainly. His most famous book is The Black Swan, The Impact of the Highly Improbable. I won't get into it. It would take the whole podcast. But this book, Skin in the Game, is about the hidden asymmetries in life. The crux of the book is that skin in the game keeps human hubris in check. People who are not the victims of their own mistakes will never learn because they transfer that risk to someone else. If you think of our own sense of injustice, it usually happens when we think someone has transferred the risk of their own decision to someone else. Taleb uses bankers who transferred their risk to taxpayers during the mortgage crisis. Having no skin in the game impacts what you learn and your ethical decisions. So that's the book, a great book recommendation for you. The book challenges beliefs about risk, reward, politics, religion, finance, and personal responsibility, all the stuff you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. Not sure if I'm smart enough to interview Taleb, but I may reach out to his people to give it a try because it's a great book. Okay, I promise not to strain your brain with philosophy today. So this is a best of episode. So I've cobbled together some of my favorite interviews and we're going to talk about art, a little about science, a little about food, and a little bit about cars with Jay Leno, Cheryl Strade, Brian Green, and Michael Pollan. But first, A thank you to a great group of guys and our sponsors, New Age Aerial. It's more than a bird's eye view. New Age Aerial brings you beautiful vistas, breathtaking overviews, and an understanding of how things look from above. From movies to commercial photography and video, the drone team at New Age Aerial can get you the shots you need for a fraction of the cost of hiring a pilot and plane. These guys are experienced flyers too. Government agencies trust them during big crises. They can even set up a drone with guided monitoring from an engineer on the ground to get exactly the photos and video needed. But they are also artists in the sky, getting those unforgettable and scenic shots that open movies and thrill at the beginning of large business presentations. We're so proud to have them as a sponsor because they are innovators in drone technology and use. New Age Aerial, check them out online at newageaerial.com. You can enter the promo code FRESHAGENDA to let them know you heard about them here. Okay, let's get this best of kicked off. Another book I plan on getting to this summer is Michael Pollan's latest, which talks about psychedelics. Now, Pollan has written mostly about food, quite famously with Omnivore's Dilemma. When we chatted, we talked about his book, Cooked, which is all about using fire, water, air, and earth to transform nature into something delicious. One of the most fascinating parts of your book was the, the portion on earth. And understanding our relationship with bacteria yeah. in our environment and in our own bodies. Were you surprised by completely, some of the
2: research? Completely, completely flabbergasted to learn, just first, how important bacteria is to our health. We tend to think of it as a as an evil. And, we, and I grew up in a, a, a bacteriophobic home where we were... Uh, my mother would throw out a dented can, assuming it had botulism, even if she had just dropped it on the floor. And um, uh, But it, as it turns out, we're very dependent on bacteria. And when we think of good nutrition, we think of feeding our bodies. But 90% of the cells that you're walking around with aren't you. They're, they belong to these bacteria. Um, there's more of them than there are of you, and you need to feed them, too. And they and they, what do they like to eat? They like plants. Plant matter, especially. They like fiber. And that's a problem with processed food. It offers very little to the bacteria.
1: Michael Pollan went on to talk a little bit more about his book. And again, he has his upcoming book on psychedelics, which I can't wait to read. Uh, But... I spoke to him at the Sacramento Speaker Series, and that is a really cool organization that we have here in the Sacramento region. It's subscription-based. It's uh, like once a month for nine months. They bring in different speakers from um, you know, the world of politics or entertainment. Uh, in fact, the next three interviews that you'll hear all came from my affiliation um, with the Sacramento Speaker Series, which I had for several years. So we're going to talk next to Jay Leno, and of course, uh, he's known for the Tonight Show and being a comedian but he's also known, very well known, for his
3: show about cars.
1: With the car show and everything you're doing now and the travel you're doing, what are you having the most fun with in your life right now?
3: Um, I I have fun with. I'm one of those people that's just contented. I I never seek to be overly happy but I don't get depressed either so I'm just having a good time. I mean this is fun. I was a stand-up comedian before I had The Tonight Show, and um, that's what I'm doing now, and I I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun, working on the cars and doing the car show.
1: A lot of people, a lot of comedians want to maybe get off the road and go into television, but you seem to love staying. No,
3: no, when you're in television, you have... This is your audience's television. Okay, that was very funny. Um, Let's do it again and make it just as funny. Okay, that was good. I mean, it's not real, you know, it's sort of manufactured. When you do jokes on TV, you don't know if it's actually funny or not. When people buy a ticket and they show up, they let you know pretty quickly whether it works or (laughs) not.
1: With the car show, Jay Leno's Garage. Right. Uh, let's see, you, we've seen you flip in a car. Yeah, on that. that was fun. That
3: was always good for ratings when you crash. People just want to see you get hurt. That's the key.
1: <laughs> and and uh, tell me about this the passion. Was it your idea to do this, or did someone approach you and say, what? look, you're a car guy? Let's do Jay Leno's no, Garage. You no, know, I,
3: I was doing Jay Leno's Garage on YouTube for about, oh, I started in 2005, 2006. And it was just technical stuff about cars. And it grew to be the third biggest automotive website on YouTube. Well, okay. And then we approached some people about, once I left The Tonight Show, you don't want to do another talk. You can't do the same thing. It just comes out weaker and not as good. And it's, so let's try something completely different. And it proved to be the right thing to do because um, it's so much different now. I can call celebrities up and go, look, I don't care about your cocaine bust. I don't care about your divorce. I don't care who you're sleeping with. I don't care if there's a movie bomb. Well, just talk about cars and motorcycles. Great. And they show up and there's no press people and I don't have to, my client will not discuss the incident. No, we we don't do any of that. It's none of that. It's strictly their interest in cars and things that roll, explode and make noise.
1: It's a perfect Sunday afternoon in LA Mm -hmm. and you go out to your garage. Mm -hmm. What do you pick?
3: Oh, probably one of the motorcycles. I figure I got one good crash left in me and then after that, it's all right, you better put the bikes away. So at age 66, I'm trying to get as much motorcycle stuff in as I can.
1: I watched President Obama's last news conference mm-hmm. today, and it occurred to me that you know, after the inauguration this week, you're the you know the leader of the world, and then you're not. Uh, you were the Tonight Show guy, the biggest guy in television, and then not. How was well, that no, hardly transition? hardly the biggest
3: guy in television. Uh, it, it's not hard. You know, something. I have the same wife, the same friends I had before I had the show, so nothing really changes. I was never one of those people that. Bob, would like my usual table. What? It, it, what, I, what? Why can't I get in this restaurant anymore? But I, I used to be famous. I tell you, you gotta, I don't. I don't really go through that. I, it's, it's not really a big deal. I don't really, I mean, I went, after the time I went home every night and my wife and I had dinner and that was that. I, 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 so I'm not someone who, you know, all these things happened because of the show. I mean, many great things did happen because of the show. But it wasn't one of those things where suddenly I expected to be put it at the front of the line or whatever it might be. You know, you always see these things on TV. Uh, no, it was, uh, I, I did it for 22 years. It was great. Jimmy Fallon's doing a great job. And I go on and I do the show with Jimmy all the time now. In fact, I do a show on ABC. I do uh, Last Man Standing with Tim. And that's great fun. You know, I, I just show up. I just tell him, I don't care how much it pays. What do you want me to do? And we have fun.
1: Talk to me about social media usage. It's such a big thing for celebrities and and comedians and and people. I mean, I don't really
3: take a picture of my lunch and Snapchat it to everybody. It's not really, uh... but it works good for the cars and motorcycles. When we're working on a project, we take pictures, we send it out. You get feedback from other people. So that part of it is good. I mean, that's the whole, that's how the business has changed a lot. I mean, when I was doing The Tonight Show, it was mostly you do the monologue and they'd send out jokes to the various news outlets, ones that were appropriate or whatever it may be. Uh, Now it's just like you have to make viral videos and do all these kinds of things. Do you
1: have people that do all that or do you like to do it?
3: Well, a little bit of both. I mean, the the people working the car show will say, oh, we put this on Snapchat, we sent this out. Oh, okay, great. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, my attitude is if you hire good people, you let them do the job.
1: And Jay Leno has hired a lot of people that have done a great job for him. Uh, the car show is just so much fun to watch last man standing was canceled but he has other projects in the hopper now and he's really just a, kind of a poster child for reinvention after the tonight show the biggest gig in television and has gone on to do all sorts of other things and is really enjoying his reinvention and he's back on stage too doing a lot of stand-up a uh, funny thing when he came into town to do this speaking engagement and we have this scheduled interview he was like an hour late Uh, to the the speaking event because his plane couldn't land. It was like one of the worst storms in Sacramento in years. Trees were down everywhere, and he couldn't get from the airport to the facility. But when he walked in, he was just cool as can be, calm as can be, knew he had the scheduled interview. He could have skipped it and probably should have, but he went ahead and did the interview with me and was as kind as can be, just as kind as he sounds. Uh, So next we're going to talk to Brian Greene. He's a theoretical physicist and he is a Columbia University professor, has been for many years, talks about big issues, things uh, like uh, multiverse and string theory. Uh, So he was in town as well and we had a chance to talk about a couple of big concepts. So go big with me here. Uh, We're going to talk about string theory and time travel with theoretical physicist Brian Green. You're the guy for t- explaining string theory in the easiest way. It,
2: I mean, the basic idea is trying to realize a dream that Einstein himself had, which is to find the theory that might describe everything in the universe, the big stuff, the small stuff, and everything in between. Now, Einstein looked for it but never found it. And we think we may possibly have that theory in our hands today. We just have not been able to test it yet. It's so complex that we don't know if it actually describes our universe, but at least on paper, this theory seems to do what Einstein wanted it to do. So
1: you start with atoms? Yep. And then you work your way down to the protons and, and...
2: You keep on going.
1: and then quarks?
2: Quarks are inside of those, exactly.
1: Okay, and then the filaments that perhaps are part of string theory.
2: That's right, so the conventional idea is exactly the one you're saying. You've got atoms, atoms have a nucleus with neutrons and protons, you got the quarks inside of those, just like you said. And that's where the conventional ideas stop. String theory proposes that there's another layer, another Russian doll, if you will, inside the sequence that we haven't yet found experimentally. But the theory is that the new ingredient is a little tiny filament, looks like a piece of string, vibrating in the heart of all matter. And the different vibrations of the string give rise to the different kinds of particles that make the universe so rich.
1: Are we even close to the technology that would be able to detect something like that?
2: Probably not. Probably not. And I don't say that with glee. Some people say, oh, you love that. There isn't technology to test these ideas because you can't be proven wrong. That's so silly. You know, you go around once in life. You want to be working on something that's true, that's correct. We want to experiment. But these filaments, if they exist, are probably so tiny that we need machines that are far more powerful than anything we currently have to be able to probe such tiny, tiny distances.
1: Another concept you talked about in in one of your videos that I I think a lot of people would find fascinating is the concept of time. And perhaps it's not the river flowing that we all think it is, but that everything that has ever happened has already happened.
2: When it comes to time travel, Einstein himself laid out a blueprint for how to do it. This is not science fiction. If you want to travel to the future, He told us what you do. You build a spaceship, you go really fast out into space near the speed of light. It's hard to do that, but that's technology, not physics. But you go out very fast and you turn around and you come back. When you step out of your ship, you may have aged one year if it was six months out and six months back, but on Earth, ten years may have gone by or a hundred or a thousand or a million or a billion, all depending on how close to the speed of light your ship actually went. When you step out of your ship, you will step into the future. There is no scientist alive who knows what they're talking about who contests this. This is how the world, the universe actually works.
1: Is there anything that scares you about what you might find out? For instance, I just read an article this morning in which Stephen Hawking was talking about AI and how, to him, that's kind of a frightening uh, dilemma for humans to try to control that and not be overtaken by it. I mean, I I, I think of like the movie The Matrix.
2: I think I'm a, an optimist at the most deepest level. I think that there are many rich and, and puzzling, mysterious, provocative ideas that come out of science. But I think ultimately we as a species figure out how to make it all work and to go forward in a way that is sensible. So we may have hiccups here and there, but ultimately I have confidence that we're gonna come through just fine.
1: And if a guy that smart is confident and optimistic that we are going to be able to live in harmony with technology, well, I'm on board. That's Brian Greene, theoretical physicist, and if you really wanna geek out on some of his more interesting research, go look at his TED Talk about multiverse. Fascinating. He's really good at explaining all of it. Okay, so we have talked uh, to someone from the world of entertainment and someone from the world of science. Let's hop over to the literary arts and talk to one of my favorite authors, Cheryl Strayed. She, of course, is the author of Wild, which was made into a movie with Reese Witherspoon, brave enough and torch are a couple of her other books Uh, she also wrote tiny beautiful things which is one of my favorite books of hers and if you have an opportunity to pick it up or listen to it on audio like i did um, it'll it'll it's it's beautiful writing it feels good on your ears she's such a gorgeous writer all right so i had a chance to talk to her about a couple of concepts Uh, from a writer's perspective. One called binge writing, and then her use of talisman as she crafts her stories. So here's my interview with Cheryl Stray. I wanna talk to you about the concept of um, binge writing. Uh, You know, I've I've interviewed Michael Lewis and Stephen King, and they talk about spending specific time every day writing. And when you started talking about binge writing, it it, it spoke to me and I think a lot of other people. Talk to me about how that works for you and why it works for you.
0: Well, binge writing is just just like it sounds, you know, you write for long periods of time, but not necessarily on a regular schedule. And that's just worked better for me uh, in so many ways, uh, certainly as a mother, because I do have two kids who are 11 and, and 13. and. Um, You know, any parent knows that the the kid's schedule comes first. And so I didn't, I don't have the life over these last, you know, 13 years where I could say, no, every day I'm writing for this many hours and no matter what happens, that's what I'm going to be doing. I I just don't have that luxury. But it's even deeper than that. Before I became a mother, I tried to do that sort of thing. I had been told so many times that a real writer writes every day. I mean, that's something you hear really often. And I always felt at odds with that because my creative flow works in a slightly different way. I am far more creative in a sort of immersive way where I go all the way in, really deep. And once I'm there, I don't want to leave. I want to stay in there. And so you know, that might be a, a day, it might be a week. Um, before I had kids, it might be a month. Um, that I would really be, you know, sort of like a dog with a bone on that project, and then I would be done with it, and I wouldn't feel the need to write for a little while. And, and that didn't mean I wasn't a writer, it just meant my creativity worked differently. And so it was really liberating for me to just say, hey, this is the way I do it. You know, I think it's great that Stephen King writes whatever by his schedule. You know, I think that as in writing and as in so many things in life, there is no one way to do it right. As long as it works for you, you're, you're doing it right.
1: When do you feel that sense of flow people talk about? Uh, you know, when you, you you feel like the conductor of some kind of internal orchestra that's really working for you. Is it as soon as you sit down? As soon as you close that door and have silence, or as soon as that that uh, that next sentence pops in, or do you have to be a few pages in?
0: Oh my goodness, it's 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 never as soon as I sit down. In fact, as soon as I sit down, I often think. Why am I doing this? I can't do this. I'm not gonna succeed. This is hard. Maybe the floor needs to be, you know, mopped instead, right? I mean, I think part of my process is that anxiety, that resistance, and that that um, n- desire to escape into almost anything else. But what I've learned is that you just have to stick with it. You, you have to keep faith with um, your work and to say, I'm gonna push through through that anxiety and resistance. And when I do that, I will reach that flow and I will reach that time in the making of the, the story or the essay or the book where I'm I don't want to do anything else. That like you, you you realize the sun's going down and you haven't eaten for ten hours and you're like, wait a minute. I don't want to stop. I don't even want to stop for the basic necessities of, of living, right? And that's a beautiful place to reach, but it takes work to get there. You know, it's it's not something that I can just turn on um, because I want to.
1: You, for a portion of your life, was a, uh, you were a journalist, mm-hmm. and I've been a journalist for 30 years, and it's an interesting place to be in that you're inhabiting other people's experiences over and over and over again and writing about them. Um, how was it to you, with you when you inhabited your own experience? I mean, is that what you felt like when you said that, that second heart that was beating inside you that you needed to get out? Or do you think you would have stayed in journalism?
0: No, I don't think. You know, obviously, and even still, I write journalism every once in a while, but it's not really my calling. And, you know, I, and I think that among all of the writers I know, journalists and creative writers included, there is that sense of like, what are the kinds of stories that you are here to tell? What, are, what is the thing that drives you? It's like at your very core, what is the kind of story you want to tell? And for whatever reason, many of those stories for me do come from that very personal place, it's not about being um, so focused on necessarily me and my life but it's rather using me and my life to tell that bigger human story and i think the journalists just do the, the kind of opposite of that with the same goal in mind we, we all want to tell that human story we just have different ways of getting there my husband is a documentary filmmaker um, which is essentially a, a kind of journalist and he tells other people's stories but he does it in a way that I know that there's some core truth that's always about him. And I try to tell, use my story to tell core truth that's true about you.
1: I know you teach writing as well. And and one of the interesting things I heard from you in a podcast was your your, um, discussion of talisman and the Mm. importance of talisman in writing. Talk to me a little bit about how you use that with your students and how you use it in your own writing.
0: I think that so much of writing is about noticing Paying attention and using the world around us to tell the story of our character, or if we're writing about ourselves, our, you know ourselves. And one of the greatest tools is is to pay attention to the physical world, and especially the physical that we attach literally to our bodies. You know, you're we're both wearing uh, wedding rings. Um, that's a cultural talisman. You know, without talking to you, you and I know something about each other that we have in common. And it's only through a physical object. If, if, I, if you and I hadn't said a word to each other and we saw each other across the room, we, we would observe that about each other. Um, and then there are personal talismans. There are things, you know, only I know what this ring on this finger means to me. But it's, the, it's a story. I could tell you the story about it. And I, I know that if I asked you to do the same, I bet there would be something. There would be a story attached to something you're wearing. And what I love about that as a writer is it's, it's just another avenue, it's another way to, to make the world vivid to the reader, to tell us something true about the character or the life or the experience, um, you know, that we're trying to create vividly on the page.
1: When you get in front of a group of uh, eager writers, uh, yeah, people who uh, who you're trying to inspire or or that are looking for inspiration from you, what do you tell them besides write like a mother? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <well, laughs> Which I, I love, by the way. <laughs> I tell them a lot of things. Um, that's just the only one that, that you know can go on a sort of coffee mug or a bumper sticker. What do I tell them? You know, that's that's such a long. There's such a long answer to that question, but, you know, one thing I want to say uh, that, that's really, I think, important, or a key component of my teaching, is that, is that I don't try to inspire people. You know, when I was writing all of my books, people say to me, I'm so inspired, you know, especially Wild, it's so inspirational, and I, I didn't set out to inspire people. I set out to, to tell the truth, and, and as a writer, and, and I mean that, you, know, you can tell the truth in fiction, too. I mean, again, that truth of what does it mean to be human. And I think that when I'm teaching, I also try to do that. I try to help people be brave enough to go to those deepest places. And you know, if, they, if they end up feeling inspired by that, by that message or that encouragement, like, I'm, I'm glad of it, I'll take it. But I don't set out to try to do that, and and I think what's interesting about that is people are inspired by being given permission, essentially, to be courageous in ways that often we're told not to be. You know, we're told, you know, don't don't tell the, don't write about your flaws. You know, actually show the the perfect face. Don't write about the mistakes you made. Don't write about the times when you when you felt ambivalent when you. Sh- Really should have been sure, or you know, all of those things we we tend to keep in the back. Writing is about welcoming them forward, and I think people end up feeling inspired by that liberation.
1: One thing I ask um, all the guests is, with the you, how ubiquitous social media is. Mm-hmm. It, it is in some ways stealing people's focus and, and their deep work. Uh, what do you do in your own life to, to put that in its place? And how do you teach your children to put that in its place so you can, you can achieve that deep focused work?
0: It's so hard. It, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to answer that question for myself as a, as a person and as a mother because absolutely I've seen that with my kids. You know, they are preteens now, they've just recently, you know, in the last year or so, uh, gotten their own iPhones and, and I see the number of books they read goes down because it's the num- they spend more time reading that screen, looking at you know, doing whatever we all do on the screens. And I see that in my own life too. And I think it's, it's as with anything um, that we need to be conscious and moderate and every day make that choice. Uh, you know, what is it that I want to do with this hour. Um, Maybe it's spend that whole hour on social media. I don't think that's inherently bad, but if you're doing that every hour, there's something wrong. And I've had to bring that in my own life into consciousness to say, to just be more awake to what I'm choosing to do and why.
1: Finally, uh, what are you working on now? What are you thinking about, writing about, mulling about, writing about?
0: I'm writing another book. I'm writing a memoir. and. I really always hate talking about, you know, the book I'm writing because it always sounds silly and stupid. And then, like, whatever I say, it's about it won't it won't be, you know, in the book or something in the final cut. But I will say, you know, it's about me, <laughs> which you know. <laughs> um, but it's it's really a, a deep exploration of some of the 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 questions that I've been grappling with in my adult life um, in answering that question: How do I make a home in the world? Um, I'm somebody who lost my home and lost my family at, at essentially the moment I became an adult at that, at that crossroads. And I'm 48 now and I've had, and I've made a home in the world. I've made a new you know, family and a new life. And so it's a lot of, I'm exploring those um, journeys and those questions in the book.
1: Oh, I look forward to reading it. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time, appreciate it.
0: It was wonderful talking to you.
1: So much fun getting to meet all of them. And I hope you enjoyed our time with uh, Michael Pollan. That was kind of a short amount of time there. Jay Leno. Uh, Brian Green and Cheryl Strayed some of my favorite interviews from the Sacramento speaker series and uh, I have to tell you if you should look into it because they've got some really interesting people coming up in this upcoming season again it's membership based and uh, it is a great way to kind of expand your mind once a month over the course of the season before we go I want to tell you about new age designs they are web design development with a purpose ambition and analytics if you need digital marketing if If you need design, SEO, SEM, Google Analytics set up, they can do that. They will get you all set up with web hosting and they know all the key technologies. New Age Design staff has spent decades managing various UX and web marketing projects for large corporations, giving them the opportunity to work with the most talented digital agencies in the world. So they certainly can help you. Check them out at newagedesigns.com. And when you reach out, use the code FRESHAGENDA, they'll take great care of you. All right. So if you enjoyed this podcast, I would love for you to reach out. Let me know if you have someone you think I should be interviewing. I'd love to know that too. You can reach out through my website, Christina Mendonza.com. That's Christina with no H, Mendonza with no Z, Christina Mendonza.com. You can also catch me on News Radio KFBK in the morning and during the afternoon for my Christina Mendonza reports. And if you would care to, My YouTube channel has a lot of great stories, so I hope you subscribe there. I just did one recently on Ryan O'Callaghan. He's a former NFL player. He came out last year. He talks openly about depression and suicide, his thoughts of suicide. And of course, Lieutenant Kelly, this great Memorial Day story I did uh, about the search for a World War II a a bomber pilot that went down in the ocean. So you can check those stories out and much more on my YouTube channel as well. So thanks for being here for A Fresh Agenda. Appreciate your time. We'll see you next time. Let's stay connected.
2: This is A Fresh Agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity
0: together to generate your deepest work.